I feel the need. The need for literacy. This is illiterate. This week we are covering Top Gun. I just checked out the nearly four decades in the making sequel film. Top Gun soared to the box office this weekend. Taylor. Wow. I looked into production agreements between Paramount and the Pentagon. (laughs) Good Lord. We're going to get into all of it. I've been waiting to see this movie for four years. Uh, my wife worked on the post team for this, and I have not known a thing about it for forever. Oh. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I got to go to the cast and crew screening last Wednesday. Uh, we went again this weekend. Uh, it, it's just been an incredible ride. It's 300 million worldwide box office. I mean, it's just been a joyous occasion. And here we are doing it for the show. I couldn't be happier. My God, everybody <laughs> is talking about it. So let's get right into it. Yeah. What in the world is the real Top Gun? What is the precedent for these types of things? When have we seen this done before? I'm excited. Can you tell? Because <laughs> <laughs> Evan has had to not be able to talk to his wife about this for a long time. This is a taken long forever. time. <laughs> years and years. It's a this- chunk. It's a whole it's a big chunk of our existence that just we had to ignore like a giant elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. So now they're they're it, I, we, it up. we yeah. were she worked on it long enough that I was invited to work on it for a short <laughs> time. So like it, it was it was insane. And then and then the pandemic happened. So <laughs> before even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There we go. No longer. I digress. <laughs> yeah. Top Gun, the school itself is a real thing. I didn't know about it at all because of the fallibility of cinema in making it dramatic and exciting so this started right now it's this yeah. like misnomer it kind of applies to any you, you, you flight top gun to anything right you know so like you're the, just the best of the best so like i don't now it's so almost generalized that i just it's the navy <laughs> you know <laughs> right. like it is the, so like that i think it'll be helpful for everybody for us to mm-hmm. like really get down to the definition here <laughs> yeah so in the early years of the vietnam war the what they call the kill ratio for the navy's Uh, flying squadrons, which would be the number of enemy aircraft to U.S. fighters lost, was 2.5 to 1 in the early stages of the Vietnam War. But this is atrocious in terms of Hmm. who they think they're going up against in terms of the quality of the planes and whatnot. Because in World War II, it was 14 to 1. And in the Korean War, it was 12 to 1. And that's only a couple decades before so oh how gosh, did it yeah. drop? So horrible. They get this guy, Frank Alt, who's one of the captains, and this is his big report, the Alt report, and he's investigating a ton of stuff related to everything to do with the Navy and their flying programs and offered 104 recommendations about how to fix everything <laughs> top to bottom, organizational, how the leadership was structured, the technical quality control because the missiles were horrible and misfiring. And then the big thing was also improving training. And so one of the suggestions was to establish this advanced fighter weapons school with core instructors to correct and disseminate tactics. And then the Top Gun is the moniker that it was never officially called, but it was on the sign on the shack. Yeah. So, (laughs) and this, the reason- That's where we all start, Taylor, on the sign on the shack. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Yeah. And with that comes, you know, some people thought this was a stupid idea. So that's the mythology of it's this rebel underground secret base in Hoth, you know, Star Wars reference. (laughs) They're just going by their bootstraps. And it kind of was that because the first class was in March of 69, only two months after the report was published. So they really slapped it together. Wow as one of the 104 recommendations to getting it done. And so it wasn't just the Navy that went, it was 
at the start, Navy and Marine Corps sending their best pilots to train. That's what, what I got confused with. It's like, it is for the best of the best, but the whole point is that they return to their squadrons and pass along the knowledge. They got lectures right. on teaching and learning, briefing and debriefing. It was because we can't r- overhaul everybody that's in the air. Our to pilots come to this are thing. like a virus. They will infect everyone <laughs> around them and make us all better. You want us to infect everyone, sir? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. Is that in the first one? No, no, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that, no, that's no. A, I'm just, I was just yeah. joking. Well, it sounded straight out of, yeah. That's <laughs> a, that's essentially what the point of it was. And so this, you know, four weeks to train also, you think it's like, oh, they're going in. It's not like a Navy SEAL thing where it's like a year in basic and then a year out in the field. And no, they, they threw them in for four weeks, learn everything different than you did and pass it on. And so- wow. When the air war was resumed and bombing was resumed in Vietnam three years later, the rate was back up to 13 to 1 kill ratio. So it proved that this worked. It worked. The program had a ton of changes, which I can't get into all of them. I was looking at articles with guys that had been through it and then uh, became instructors. That was a big thing where it was like, oh, once you're done, come back here and, and teach for four years or however long you want. Right. And I guess is that that's some of the conceit of this new one is that he exactly. has come back. Yeah. The return uh-huh. after 36 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's kind of that, I mean, you know, fitting in with just cinema trends, we have the, you know, the old generation mentoring the new generation. And so it's kind of interesting to see Tom Cruise do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a bit, of, it's, it, it's a delight and it might be better than most of other comparables uh, in that in that kind of uh, genre there. Because mm. I had seen he had done tons of, because he's a pilot himself and whatnot, and they had gone through all this rigorous rigmarole, the young blood, to get them ready to take on G-forces. He, like, really took on his producer role in a sense that, like, few ever do. He's not only is he producing it, but he's the star of it. So it's 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 an odd parallel to the director Joe Kaczynski because Tom is such the nucleus of it all and understands the whole picture of it all. It was you know, it seemed almost like he's pseudo directing it. Had me thinking of like, was he gonna direct something one day? Because he basically can do it. He's doing it now, you know, like and and no skin off of Joe. Like Joe's an incredible director. Um, but it was amazing to see the weight put on Tom's shoulders to in part onto much like the Top Gun program, right. in part onto his actors and team, what the vision was, uh, schooling them on you know camera angles and editing, uh, so that they understood the mission charged to them, so that when they go, went out to go spend thousands of dollars a second, uh, everybody knew what to go capture. Well, it, that it almost ties in a way to some of the changes that I saw that were happening with the program in the mid 80s. So one of the things was the instructors then started flying under what they call blue air, which is as part of the student formations, not just red air where they were pretending to be the antagonists. Oh, wow. So that, I th- according to some of these things, got guff from the people that were like, well, that's not how we do mm. it. <laughs> you know, it was mm-hmm, a big change. Mm-hmm. But to be on the student side to actually coach in the team as opposed to just being the antagonist seemed to help a lot okay. with, the yeah. ch- with the changes in technology as well as the, they added a whole air to ground syllabus, which lengthened the class to nine plus weeks, which was also then heavily, you know, because that's, that's also some of the misnomer of the movies from in my mind is like, 
who's doing dog fighting anymore? <laughs> like, are we just right. circling planes? They like, Isn't it like they yeah. even say in the new one a couple times, like they they try to throw out some stats, and the stats are so small and like insignificant that it's hardly like a stat. It's like he's the only pilot with two two combat kills yeah you know, <laughs> since since like 1977 you know just like yeah. awesome you know like or 1980 <laughs> or since the 80s or something yeah like, yeah i'm like yeah and, and in those in those couple like lines it actually drew me back to thinking of like the the, the real reality of, of what the difference is here between what we're seeing on the screen and what the real program is because Again, I said out of touch with the reality. It's drama. It's fiction. It's <laughs> art, um, and that is a lot different than going to school uh, to to learn how to fly a fighter jet. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. Kind of, it leads us to sort of talking about the old film from '86 because it does beg the question: '86 is not in a obvious time of war, and then right. How how so do you create? I had- yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I had a kind of a, a a bunch of general questions in retrospect on this whole thing because this seems like a fran- the biggest non franchise I've ever seen. It, up until this weekend, it was one movie, but its touch on the lexicon and zeitgeist of our culture is indelible. Mm-hmm. The the terms I the, I feel the need for speed, goose, my, you're my wingman, all that you know. Like I, you can't go to a bar without referencing Top Gun, uh, <laughs> let alone like being in the Navy. Like yeah, yeah. Um, it is a huge. It's a huge cultural. Uh, it's left a huge mark on our culture. Mm-hmm. So my question being, knowing that the film is in drama, it's art. It has touched our culture. Mm-hmm. And led us to believe in some sort of uh, fantasy, kind of. So I, it, I'm constantly thinking about, well, how was the original developed in terms of like, how did we land on that depiction of what this is compared to the reality? Because it ended up creating a uh, a, a bunch of factors that led to something that has stayed with us for nearly 40 years now. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what led into the development that created that, because where, 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 there are elements in that first movie that are still are still there in the new one <laughs> that I don't know where they came from. Like yeah. I don't, in terms of like, I, they're not part of the military. They're not, you know, it, it's, you know, am I making sense? Yeah. I making oh, of sense course, of it? course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're referring to, there was an article that this was based off of that came out in 1983 in California. Magazine. No way. Are you kidding? Yeah, yeah. There, so it's yeah. actually strictly based off an article. Well, so yeah, <laughs> there's the, and they oh. go into <laughs> two different pilots. One of them's named possum. Wow. Yeah. And it kind of, uh, summarizes and the photography, the aerial photography in the magazine. I'll post a link oh to gosh. the article. It's been cataloged. Well, this is fun because when we said we were going to do the episode, it was like, oh, well, you know, it's based on the Top Gun school. That's enough. That's enough to dig into, and we can what's impressive. I am didn't really even go on to think that it would be. It would have been thought of to have been optioned after somebody's like article a journalist <laughs> write-up of, of like actual yeah. pilots and stuff like that I mean, you're kind of blowing my mind because we didn't even talk about that <laughs> yeah yeah so that i you know the, the bigger thing that i went into because those things get twisted around so much and it's kind of just the flavor of it without any particular incidents you know there's not a plot to it it's more of an expose on like hey did you know this is a school that's still going on from mm-hmm. Vietnam? Mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing well but, much like the fast and the furious article yeah, you know it's yeah. just like hey this is a happening out there this is the culture going on around it uh, people might be interested to know what's happening 
and there's wacky call sign names and it's a whole mm-hmm, culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a whole world in and of itself. It's worth writing about. Yeah. So that is a big piece of it. The other piece has to do with the Navy themselves and their involvement in fueling a lot of the changes related to the film. In terms of having military involvement, you can't just rent a Tomcat <laughs> plane, to my knowledge, or if you can, you know what I mean? It's like it's billions of it's dollars. write a what, check to yeah. rent a F-16. <laughs> it doesn't work. So what the Navy does, what we'll get into kind of the history of how all this comes about, we'll start with the film and then go backwards in time to like mm-hmm. how we got to 86 at least, but they offer access to the resources and all they charge for is the fuel and the pilot hours because they have a 24-7 salary anyway. So it's not like the taxpayer right. money is paying extra for the pilot to do. They would be flying regardless right. of whether it's for a camera on them or not. So for this first film, which was a meager $15 million budget, only $1.8 went to paying for the pilots and the planes, which seems oh crazy that it's like, oh, film a film and it only costs a little under $2 million to have all this access yeah. to military yeah. bases and equipment and pilots and all of that stuff. Such a steal. Yeah, this is this is uh, insane. It's even in '86 money, that's that's, that's <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, because you, you'd think it'd be like, oh god, it'd be half the budget, and they'd be straining. I was like, no, it was it was a it was a steal. So yeah, <laughs> how this how this came to be? One of the producers, Don Simpson, had done in '82 an officer and a gentleman, and the Navy refused access because it doesn't portray everyone in a great light, and there's language and sex and it uh mm, mm. you know it won oscars but it was not regarded by the navy as indicative <laughs> of their establishment and so cost them millions they could you know they couldn't film where they needed to film with equipment Gosh. that they needed and so on and so from some some sources i could see he this producer don simpson and bruckheimer had visited Navy headquarters in Washington to see if they'd support Top Gun before even writing it, before even having a draft of the script. And they kind of had to improvise what it was going to be about because they didn't want to do it unless they could get the resources from the military. Right. Yeah. Right. So from the start. So it's it kind of, I like this thing, these things where it starts this three dimensional puzzle where everybody has the whole project kind of has to move together before anybody gets too far. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which yeah. in in this case, if you're partnering with the United States military, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> Especially if, if the, you, if you had, if you struggled budget wise on your previous thing and you're in this and the set piece house. of your movie are people in jets. Yeah, it can't be done without it. Yeah. So with that, though, the Pentagon has a ton of leeway in what happens. And, you know, this is the 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 big question surrounding this whole episode that we're doing is like, wh- when it, does it become propaganda or right. creative license? Or, you know, of course, they want it to be presented accurately, but like the way that the ranks work and how the protocol is and whatnot. But it's like- right. What about issues that happen within the military? Lord knows there's a million. So, or like the way an exercise is actually carried out, probably drastically, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, fantasized here, you know, and probably there are situations in these training exercises throughout most of the bulk of the second act in the new film, at least, and most of the first one that just would, you know, most people you know, in the real situations be throwing up their hands because, well, they would never sit that many planes out at the, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. Um, but <laughs> But I'm, I can only assume uh, that much. <laughs> yeah, so it's all uh, sort of a black box when it comes to how much they have 
approval of on the script, but I know for a couple things based on some documentaries about the original one, they changed Goose's crash not to involve two planes together in a collision, just it was a solo oh, thing. Okay. That was a big thing that they said we don't want to have because I guess that shows some sort of ineptitude or something against like we right. Can't, it's technically it's changed to like just a malfunction, just right? A of the ejector. malfunction. So that makes sense. I see. I see. So some stuff like that where it's like, well, that could happen, but does it disparage them a little bit? So got to change it. And then same thing with the love interest. Originally, it was a non commissioned officer serving on the base, but fraternization within the ranks is a no no. So the a naval commander who was involved on the base when they were filming suggested, oh, why not have it be a civilian instructor and analyst instead? And this mm. woman was actually based on a real contractor, Christine Fox. Um, oh, wow. And so she's got a whole Wikipedia page and everything. And she actually, in 2013, served as acting deputy secretary of defense. And she became the highest wow. ranking woman in the history of the Pentagon. Uh, oh, my God. Later, lady, much later on. The, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the love interest. <laughs> the, so when you're looking at Top Gun 86, that's an echo of who you're looking at. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's um, crazy. I just thought that was cool that that, that of, of the things that were fictionalized, that was a real person. Um, wow. And she did I, hang I mean, out I'm at the blown, bar, you know. Yeah, she was Listen, not, man, this is all yeah. gravy. I am sitting here <laughs> blown away that this stuff actually has any real literary basis, <laughs> like, at all. Like, that there, that there's an article, yeah. that there, you know, that so many ideas out of this are pulled out of here, and that the, you know, uh, McGinnis's character is full-on a real person, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who is the <laughs> highest, crazy. highest role for a female. Yeah, like in like an incredible, yeah. like, historical person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she rose up. It's incredible. The one thing that is not true at all that is central to the whole premise is the trophy and the competitiveness between them. All of that is for like finishing first. Yeah, yeah, and like who's (laughs) yeah yeah, who's the best? Because that's funny. So there's no right here. Like if you finish top of your class, like no, 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 no. Because yeah, (laughs) it's not hard. Not a it's not a competition. (laughs) Well, because it's hard to have stakes without a war. When you're when it's 86, you know, and this is a school, like you kind of got to have. But it's funny because there's uh, instructor Pete Pettigrew who was heavily involved in the consultation for the film, and he said if a trophy existed, no one would graduate because everyone would die. Like these people oh are so God. competitive. He said it would be a horrible decision. It would be a bloodbath. Good yeah. God. And then, like you said, in terms of the logistics of it, like the actual formations and stuff for the filmmaking. They had to film at a lower altitude to show the mountains. So you get a sense of speed. The planes are much closer for framing the drama. Like you wouldn't want to engage. You'd be engaging miles away before you Mm -hmm. get right up next to the enemy. And so that, that doesn't work for framing a shot, having two planes in the frame. You can't film a mile away. So all that stuff is, is nonsense when it comes to the, and it's, and that's yeah. interesting because they actually build that into it this time. That all becomes part of the mission that they are trying to learn. To get uh, close. They, the mission is that they have to stick to a 100-foot altitude uh, in formation. Yeah. So that, that actually, <laughs> ne- the mission that they're trying to carry out necessitates exactly what you would, what you do see on screen. 
Um, so it's like they, it's like it's almost as if the whole movie is like a draft two, <laughs> right? <laughs> trying to be more accurate in a yeah. in a much better way of not trying to add, like add, like redo the original, but like uh-huh. like what how uh, how a movie like this actually works because by the end of this movie, the the whole movie consists of of Maverick's character teaching these Top Gun pilots how to carry out this real world mission for the third act, and so by the time the third act rolls around you've been doing it and training it and looking at every section of this thing. And it's so well captured and Mm. so well articulated that when it's actually playing out into the third act, you know exactly what's going on. You're up to speed with everybody (laughs) because you've been taught along with them what the problems are. And all of those problems are everything that you basically laid out is they have to stick really, really tight together. They can't go above a certain altitude or they will be seen on radar. Yeah, Um, yeah. So all of that is built into the drama of keeping the filmmaking and the shots actually energized Mm. (laughs) and like something you want to look at it might not be like in training what you would do but that's the point they're training to do that do a thing gotcha yeah that's cool i didn't even know that the new film had a exchange that was (laughs) counteracting sort of what probably the military (laughs) people thought as foolishness or maybe what the pentagon just had to say well whatever we they have to film it so we can't right all the problems they had right Exactly. Yeah. All the problems they had to figure out for the 86 film, they actually like made part of the drama for the new one. That's cool. <laughs> um, but it, it actually it had me thinking again on the development of all these mm-hmm. things when they're putting together the visual look of this and they're figuring out what those problems are. Oh, man, they have to be kind of they have to be really close together. That would never work. What precedent was there for something like this? I mean, especially maybe even with government involvement. But I'm I'm. I'm trying to think, I know, you know, a lot of World War II movies are probably made or that kind of thing, but I'm trying to understand, like, actually what, what drama narratives were mm-hmm. produced at a similar level or, or some sort of a comparable level for the time um, that right. the filmmakers in 86 would have been drawing on. Yeah, so I looked into where the Department of Defense or the Pentagon fits into Hollywood They do have an entertainment media office. It's officially a part of the U.S. Department of Defense. And like I said, (laughs) it's it's the use of F-18s, other military assets, in exchange for some sort of script control. And this isn't just the Navy because it's the whole Department of Defense. Every branch except for the Marines has some office on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles, which is hard to think about. Yeah, Um, I did not even conceive of such a thing. Holy crap. There's so much, well, because, and I think this movie obviously was a big keystone in in pushing that because I found this study, thank God somebody else did, it went through 30,000 pages of documents through the Freedom of Information Act requesting government uh, files and the Pentagon and CIA have exercised editorial control of over 2,500 films and shows. Which is great because you'd think, oh, maybe a couple hundred or the big ones or Saving Private Ryan or whatever. But 2,500 is a lot more than the the people (laughs) combing through the documents said, oh, the military made decisions on the script. Uh, That's crazy. I have never really considered some of that. Yeah. One, there's a lot, too, where films weren't made because they were denied assistance. And it's like, we want to do this movie this way. Gosh. But it's going to be too hard. But that might change with CGI. And, you know, that's kind of why this one is interesting, the newer one, in the sense that they did do it right. all real when maybe you wouldn't have to. But in terms right. of getting back to your, your question, sort of the precedent, I was flabbergasted to see that the first Academy Award ever for Best Picture was a film very similar to Top Gun and what? involved. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 1929, the film is called Wings. 
and it is a silent film. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, do, do you no know about way. this no, at all? No, no. No. I, I, like you say the title, I'm like, oh, I've heard this a thousand times. Yeah. But now I'm like, please go on and describe the movie for the audience. <laughs> yeah, it is a silent drama about a World War One combat pilot veteran praised for its realistic air combat sequences, thousands of extras, substantial support from the War Department because it wasn't even called the Department of Defense at that point. Wow. And then in terms of like cultural significance. It was hugely popular, historians might say, due to Lindbergh's transatlantic solo flight, which happened a year before it, it had wide release. And so people were already excited about planes. Wow. And, okay. and yeah. World War yeah. One ending. Yeah. So what's crazy about this is- Aviation, it's hot, Yeah, baby. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was flabbergasted to see what, just because we're talking about one might say, creative control from the military side of things. This was before the Hayes Code, before self-censorship from Hollywood. So this is also, oh, wow. it's got a bunch of firsts and, and crazy kind of things. The first wide release to show nudity, specifically really? male nudity, because there's nude men in physical exams in a, in, in a, wow. in a you know, room before. And there's All female- right, wings. Yeah. Yeah. All right, wings. <laughs> There's a female breasts when this woman is changing. There's potentially also lesbian women in a cafe. All right, as wings. they <laughs> pass through, and a lot of people say it's definitely the first male kiss on the mouth, but it also might be the first all LGBT. Right, yeah, because in the, in I got, the I'm not, I can do it all day. Yeah. Taylor. this movie rules. <laughs> in the in the cards, and I'll post a link to this scene because some people are like, oh, maybe it's fraternal, and they were you know pilots together. But it's like the woman is off to the side, and they're embracing and stroking each other's hair, and the guy dies, and he he kisses him right before. And in the wow. you know, cards, it's like, oh, our friendship. But of course, learning a lot of history from illiterate, it's like friendship was a very yeah uh, veiled coded word, and it's like all of the all of the other homoerotic overtones in the film wow. lead it to be and wow. pre Hayes Code. It's got a lot of that stuff, which is interesting you can be historically. Anytime, because it also because <laughs> it also has such a <laughs> a connection to the military, which Top Gun I think is also like this broy chauvinistic potentially on the negative side of. Well, things. I mean that's been something to come. Well, then that the. All the other side of that, to parallel what you're just mm -hmm. saying, it's for through the 80s, through the 90s, into the 2000s, very macho. Uh, yeah. But then uh, another view, another uh, analyzation of the entire thing has come about and popularized over maybe the last 20 years uh -huh. is the uh, the homoerotic overtones between Iceman and Maverick. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and I look at it now, looking when I first watched the original Top Gun for the first time uh, in 2018, it was pretty obvious to me what everybody had been talking about in terms of I had heard those jokes before and I was like, oh, yeah, this is a, this is this is up there in terms of like one of the like gayest accidental gay films I've ever mm -hmm. seen. It's up there with like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Incredible movie. But <laughs> just um, yeah. these movies that kind of walk into that sphere. So I'm like, I'm again, it's all the universe talking at me. Everything makes sense. Everything is in line because Wings Iceman and Maverick are par paralleled right back in it, babe. I mean, I, it's all there. I, I'm, I'm just, I'm stunned at how many parallels are ring consistent throughout decades when it comes <laughs> yeah. to this material in particular. This is yeah. ridiculous. Well, and what's what's crazy too is as time progresses, so we go through the World War II era. It's like we're in the same business you know, the military and Hollywood, like Disney and the war effort we've talked about before. 
not so much then as it goes into the Vietnam War, it's more transactional. It's not, we're not in the same mm-hmm. business, but we each have something that the other might want. Yeah. Because Bruckheimer said Top Gun and Pearl Harbor wouldn't exist without military approval and a lot of stuff right. that you don't even think about. So like Transformers needed them for army locations and access. All three, right. all three Iron like, Man films got military support, which makes sense because- it's Anytime m- yeah. you've seen the vehicles rolling out and the troops coming <laughs> up, they're coming to say that. Basically, yeah, that's it. That's them. Yeah. But then with that Any comes- post-apocalyptic, any kind of superhero film where things are getting out of hand for the public, <laughs> yeah. uh, creature films where New York City is locked in, all of it. Yeah, which is, I mean, with that then comes in the back of the mind, the two, you know, the 2,500 films, the entertainment media office of the Department of Defense had some sort of script control on Iron Man. It, <laughs> it begs the question. So that's what's interesting is they didn't oh, back, man. they didn't back the Avengers because they found the S.H.I.E.L.D. organization, which is of the Pentagon to be too unrealistic. So they said, once, once Marvel hit here, we're not going to be involved oh, that's when they took their door out. That's yeah. very interesting. Very, very good. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So that that kind of stuff. And then I even found through some of these documents that these people do the research on, this e-media office internally for Top Gun, quote, completed rehabilitation of the military's image, which had been savaged by the Vietnam War. <laughs> so it's definitely in their purview, but it's also not a surprise. Oh, so Top Gun was a psyop to get the, <laughs> some po- like the public to turn favorably in view of the military. Yeah. I see it all. No, I'm yeah. just playing. <laughs> but it's like, it's 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 almost so opaque that you're like, yeah, of course, you know, or like trans, <laughs> you know, it's obviously they would right, want to yeah. be viewed in a positive light. Even up to like more modern 2013, there was a film called Lone Survivor, and they had it quoted right. in some internal memos as a two-hour infomercial. So this is not news, but it just is – I, I right. became more aware of it with like it's a, it's a transactional thing. Well, my understanding of it is is it – obviously, it can't be ne- negative light if you can have a borderline – no, yeah, everything is in place. That's fine. If it's positive, then they are more than willing to help you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I then that's really interesting for filmmakers having to tread that line of like, well, how much do we change this for them to give us the resources we need to achieve the vision? But how much is the vision changed by the context surrounding achieving the resources it's that's a very interesting problem yeah but it's also in a in a uh, devil's advocate way it is a problem regardless of what you produce that you have to balance right. the the uh the competing interests of the things you want to go film at somebody's house Absolutely. even as an independent filmmaker it's like well they're not going to want us traipsing around their front yard or whatever how do we give them assurance right. that we're going to do right. right by them? It's all, it's all that. It it's just very, yeah. it's very, very similar. And and on the surface, it sounds like oh, they have script approval, but it's like I, I guarantee you, it's not that big a deal for like eighty <laughs> percent of these projects. It's really not that big a deal. They just are making sure that they're not being disparaged or like helping people that are like trying to like you know call them out for you know like they, they want to avoid being called out they want to avoid negative they don't want they're not going to help you disparage them but i'm just saying yeah. it's like well if what they have to offer helps you you can lean into that and it's going to make it better yeah. uh if that's not the point of your story you know that's the job of the of the filmmakers and the producers to walk that line and take thank you for that no thank you for that yeah i guess the downside comes when you have to look at what 
our perceptions of the U.S. military is as it relates to, like, we get our information right. of World War II from World War II-based films and media. And so right. then what does our current military, like, what does that look like? Well, and it's not to say that these yeah. projects can't happen. I'm sure a lot of right, projects right. don't happen because they don't have, but they can achieve their visions in a different way that doesn't require direct help from the U.S. military. Uh, and sometimes I'm sure maybe they're not able to find those paths, but on a lot of other cases, I'm sure that they probably are. Again, not everybody really, this is a particular thing. It's not like everybody needs, you just, just, you know, like <laughs> this, uh, you know, 2,500 sounds big, but like that it's, you know what I mean? That's over the course of many years. Uh, this is a slower, smaller thing than even it sounds. I'm, I mean, I'm still though shocked that every department of the U.S. military has an office down here on Wilshire. I mean, that's bananas to me. But now well, they said the one that it, the one like, that well, didn't. Yeah, kind of makes sense. <laughs> the one that didn't get a bunch of bumps. So, like the uh, the Air Force said, a hundred scripts was going through in in twelve months after the first Top Gun which is a ton from from them to be able to say, oh, wow, now all of a sudden tons of people want to make this stuff. But it was uh, the Coast Guard was like, yeah, we didn't get anything. Nobody wants to make a Coast Guard <laughs> movie, which is. Oh, man, that's not true. They, 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 there's some Kevin Costner movie, I think. It's some amazing Kevin Costner yeah. Coast Guard movie. <laughs> anyway, they, they didn't. They, they got didn't it eventually. They got yeah. it eventually. <laughs> Let's, that's funny. <laughs> let's jump into the sequel stuff because you said, oh, it's all it's 36 years. You know, you'd think, Lord. oh, of the 2,500, why, why wasn't, where's Top Gun 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? Right. The biggest seemed... non-franchise franchise. <laughs> yeah. So this was pitched to the Navy, of course, in the early 90s. And a lot of it too was, well, if we can't get this, why don't we use the leftover footage? And they're like, we have none. Like every single yeah. scrap of what we filmed of planes flying, we put in that film because it was so difficult to get all of that. Good God. The reason that the proposed sequel also didn't go anywhere was there was real real life scandal and issues criminal conduct of top gun aviators there was this no. convention yeah it's called the tail hook incident oh no happened in 91 it was uh navy pilots it was this convention that happened every year and it was like year after year it just got more raucous and lewd and lascivious and and horrible no. and i guess this was kind of the the nail in the coffin Navy pilots sexually assaulted 83 women and seven men at this Las Vegas Hilton hotel, which cast, of course, then with the what? Top Gun situation, womanizing and drinking in this establishment in a in a oh horrible light. Actually, the Secretary of the Navy resigned following this because oh it was like my God. something should have been done about all of this nonsense within this particular branch. So it wasn't something that they wanted to brag about or bring up. Yeah. You know, it just clearly was not the time or Not the place. a good time, Tom. Yeah, to, <laughs> to throw out Top Gun again in the 90s. And so then another decade goes by. To Tony Scott is on it again in 2010. But then, of course, his death in 2012 halted it until 2017. And then mm. here we are, you know, you have to I not be I didn't know that they were trying for... again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's always been the rumblings, and uh, there's always been an appetite for the sequel. I just never knew that there was any real movement, and that Tony, especially that Tony Scott, ever actually got back in the back in the boat. Yeah, it was just a brief thing in Variety. I saw it said he wanted to focus on the end of dogfighting and the role of drones, sort of making it different, <laughs> not just doing it again. Really, really yeah. changing things. So yeah, that's that's why it took so long was because, again, you need the Navy. And if they're like, we're not ready to endorse this, it's a, it's a timing thing like with anything. Then I, then that made me look into this 
the the e-media office, you know how they said, oh, two-hour infomercial, like what did they do with Maverick, this new one? Mm-hmm. That's what I found, the production assistant agreement. I'll post a link to it because somebody somebody posted it, or I guess it's, pu- it's public oh, no. access. But uh, one of the points that was interesting was it formally stipulated the Pentagon's right to, quote, weave in key talking points. So who knows <laughs> what those were in this film. Um, <laughs> oh, man. But somebody said in this other article that like with these sorts of things, perhaps – if you did want to legislate some of this, there could at least be a disclosure before the opening saying like there was CIA or Department of Defense influence in this. If I mean, I mean I that's all you're that could watching be done. the most the, the state of the art aircraft do yeah. incredible things in incredible images. Uh, I, it, it is almost. I mean, God, I hate to have, I hate to say, but obvious <laughs> um, that that to achieve this type of film, that's what's there. I mean, you know, to my, I mean, maybe I'm I'm not everybody, yeah. but I, when I look at this, I go, I mean, that's pretty clear. If unless it's all computer, which we know it's not, that this required direct cooperation from the U.S. military. Again, not every movie with a jet in it is about learning mm-hmm. how to fly it at a hundred altitude you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. That, they're often just props or set pieces in the background they, they help move a you know transitions along and those types of things this is a very particular type of film this type of film again this didn't happen for near four decades yeah they uh, the military services thousands of productions but hardly hardly few live up to this scale of production with the impetus on those military machines. Yeah. The the thought is, is it a good thing or bad thing that they're, of course they're involved, but like at what point do, uh, right. do you have to say, well, Top Gun, right. surely, <laughs> like you said, does it have propaganda? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, and it's interesting looking at the film because the original film definitely uh, obscured a bit what are what, who's the enemy what's what's at stake here and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's all really close it's we're in the school it's the guys it's the romance it's that kind of thing we take it even a step further in this one uh and i think that that's a lot of people talking online right now or what does that mean uh when <laughs> when the enemy presented in this uh in this film looks like a basically a death star fighter pilot uh, blacked out. You can't see anything about him. There are no details. We don't know where we are. Uh, yeah. And they dance around naming the country or anything anything that could identify it whatsoever. Um, and we know that when the trailer was released, uh, we people saw that uh, the trailer had been edited to remove a, a couple patches on Maverick's jacket. You know that that you know a, a patch that you know solidifies that Taiwan is a country was yeah, yeah. edited to be removed. So that was outcry. But guess what? It's back in the movie. All of these things, have, uh, the political sphere around this is really interesting. But the most amazing thing about it is when you watch the movie, walking out of that political sphere, that's not what the narrative is about at all. The narrative is not about the military. The narrative is not about how great this country is. The narrative is not about how great the Top Gun school is. The narrative, this one, rests solely on grief and moving on. Yeah, It's on the shoulders of a aging fighter pilot who does not see himself in the future, who has not gone anywhere in his life. 
where does that road lead you after 36 years, the last time we saw him? That's what this movie is about. And that's why it's connecting to audiences, because it's not about how good the military is. It's not about beating the enemy. It's about understanding our place in the world as time moves on around us and where our place is in that future and how to build a place in that future that serves us, that is healthy for us. Right. Uh, that's what the film is really about. And I think that's ultimately why it's wildly successful. And I think that's why ultimately the politics of it don't matter. Uh, because they're sh- they're as much as they can trying to tell you maybe in those details. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about that. That's not the point. Think about Goose. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which maybe is also why uh, so, the Navy is okay. You know, they're like, well, it could help us. I'm I'm baffled that we pulled one of the most like two-dimensional, macho, uh, <laughs> cheap characters out of what is really a thin movie, plopped him in 2022 and had the world to say about what's happened in between these two movies. I think it's incredibly relevant for our country, for our men, uh, for our families to, to, to see what Maverick's uh, story has brought to the screen in terms of like how the the security and and breath it gives each of us to just exist in the wake of tragedy or mm-hmm. grief and death. I think it's much needed for our men and our fathers and brothers. And I think that's what happened this weekend when people went to the theater. Yeah. It's crazy that it did so well. To me, it's like another Tom Cruise Mission Impossible thing, but it outperformed right. all, all those as well. Dude, I mean, you know, I'm not a crazy, you know... Tom Cruise is he's, he's he makes good movies, but they don't touch me. <laughs> and I'm just I'm, I'm stunned that Pete <laughs> Maverick <laughs> is 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 like showing me how to how to breathe a little easier. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I mean that it that that's what people are going to the theater to see this week in the coming months. It's really encouraging to me that people are responding to the thematics that this film has to offer. I couldn't be happier that we're talking about these types of things with this type of set piece material, this type of star power, and it's getting this type of response. I mean, yeah. Hey, but I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> or you, or you, like, you, like you said, you uh, you can in a way see beyond the curtain, and somebody else might be like, "Oh, I had fun. The military must be fun," you know? Right? <laughs> and it's just you know, one to one. Yeah, and, and it's still that it's gonna be it's gonna be the same thing it was in '86 for for kids. You know, it's yeah. still Hot Wheel planes playing. It's still that, but boy, <laughs> does this one have an emotional core that is just touching. That's what you want in a movie. Yeah, and it, and man, it took 36 years to get it done. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, oh man, Taylor, I can't thank you enough. This has been a yeah, blast, thank you. guys. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, We appreciate you listening all the way to the end. If you could, please give us a rating, suggest an episode to one of your buddies, and get in touch with us. You never know when we're going to do an episode about that thing you want to know all about. You can reach us at IlliteratePod on Instagram or IlliteratePod at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.